0: The word says you could take rocks and raise up children that would obey you perfectly. What you desire, Lord, is our whole hearts, not in part, not 99%, but our whole hearts. As we look at your word, we pray today that today will be the day that any of the healthy among us would have their sickness revealed, and that those of us who are sick will not fall into the trap of thinking we can make ourselves healthy. For both the sinner and the saved are in desperate need of you. Be glorified through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, now that Wes has preached the sermon, we'll just go ahead and go home. That's what you get for discussing the sermon with three of the men for an hour or so yesterday... And one of them is going to pray. I almost, almost substituted you for Jimmy Gwynn. Poor Jimmy didn't know it was coming, but he almost read, instead of you, Wes, in the providence of the Lord, I'm done. <laughs> he just preached a sermon. But that is our prayer, isn't it? I love it when the men look at their passage before they read and they think on it and they are ready when they stand up here and they read and then they pray the passage, which is what it's about, right? We are a blessed church. I just sat in Sunday school uh, and listened to Mark teach. Uh, Wow, we have a lot of people that love the Word here. We are a very, very blessed church, very thankful for... Uh, all that God is doing. So, today we look at our next section in the Gospel of Matthew. A gospel account that's written to, I would argue, to Jewish people predominantly, calling them to believe in their Messiah, the one that God had sent. It is a gospel tract, for better term, lack of a better term, for Jewish people. And we're seeing this as we go through it. At the same time, uh, Jesus and the Gospel of Matthew say some pretty uh, uh, shocking things today in our passage. We might not get all the way down to 21, but to get the context, we need to have it. uh, That would be hard for a Jewish person to hear in that day, but what they needed to hear. And this is how evangelism is. When you share the Gospel, you're not always sharing uh, what's easy to hear. You first need to hear that you need Christ, you need the Messiah, before you will embrace the Messiah as the Savior of your soul. Arguably, the most important Bible study principle for getting to the correct interpretation of a passage is understanding the context of a passage. Understanding the context of a passage. Last week's passage, we talked about... Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that, that passage has been used numerous times for people that said, uh, Jesus wants you to come if you have a hard life and you have trials. He, he's there for you to give you rest. And you can get rest even in this, uh, uh, on this planet. It's going to solve all your problems. Jesus is going to solve all your problems. But we know that's not what the passage is talking about, right? The context is determining what Jesus was talking about. Today's passage is no different. Uh, for us to understand the meaning of 12, 1 to 21, guess what? We need to understand what chapter 11 is talking about. <laughs> and chapter 11 is developing some very important things. These things that we talked about last week set the context for chapter 12 verses 1 to 21. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 to 30 is a a cru- is crucial for understanding what Matthew 12, 1-21 is all about. In fact, I believe Matthew 12, 1-21 is an illustration of eleven twenty five 25-30. So if you understand last week's sermon, you're going to understand the illustration for today that Jesus shows us. He gives us two illustrations of the passage previously. So if you happen not to come last week, uh, you're probably going to have a little bit harder time understanding what 12, 1 to 21... This is why we love expository verse-by-verse preaching. As we go through a book, we understand the context. We understand what passages are all about. And we don't just drop in and say, here, this is what it means. We need to understand the context to really get the flow of a book. 12, tw- 12 1 to 21... Is ultimately not about whether we Gentile believers should or shouldn't keep the Sabbath. Oh, darn. I wanted that that question answered. Were you thinking that? I just want to understand. Am I supposed to keep the Sabbath or not? Well, this passage isn't going to tell you. Really? But this is the passage everybody talks about. But that's not what it's supposed to do. It's also primarily... Not about how we're supposed to treat people. Really? I thought he talked about how he should treat people in this section. Now, that's not really the primary purpose and reason and main idea of this passage. The primary exhortation of this passage is similar to last week's. You say, well, then you're going to say the same thing again this week? Yeah some of the very same things are going to be repeated this week. The answer or the primary purpose is believe in Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe in the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the point. Surrender to Him and serve Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Take His yoke and His burden, not your own. Last week we saw that Jesus invited everyone to exchange the glory, or exchange the yoke of the law, rather, the yoke of the law for the yoke of Christ. Take his yoke, not the yoke of the law, not the yoke of trying to earn your way to heaven. Be good enough for God to embrace you. Don't take that yoke. Get rid of that yoke. Take Christ's yoke the one who took the yoke of the law all the way to the cross, died on a cross, fulfilled the law, did what it asked, demanded, fulfilled it all, and then rose from the dead to give new life to all those who come to Him. And to give them a light and easy yoke for us to carry, which is His yoke, His law, the law of Christ. Jesus, in the meantime, though, is... Confronting his world that was all about religious performance. All about doing and don't do. All those rules and regulations. Let's look back at Matthew 11, 25 to 30 just to get our context in our mind again. And we see at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise And the intelligent, mark your Bibles, the wise and the intelligent, and have revealed them to the infants, mark your Bibles, infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Mark your Bibles again. All things have been handed over to me. All things have been handed over to Christ the Son by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Emphasis is who? Christ. It's on Jesus. There's three primary characters that came to the forefront in our passage last week. And these three primary characters, I want you to see, they're character groups. First, it's the wise and the Intelligent. Then there's the innocent learners, also known as infants. And then finally, there's the sovereign. Who are the wise and the intelligent? It's those smart people. It's those intelligent people. It's the ones that knew the Hebrew Scriptures the best. It was the ones that were, had memorized, many of them had memorized the Torah. Knew all about the law. We're experts. We're the smart people, the educated. Who are the infants? The infants are the disciples of Christ, the ones he had called. They were fishermen. They were just common people, a tax collector, a zealot, just normal, non-religious, probably rough around the edges, common people, the infants. And then there was the sovereign, the Lord, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, All revealed, but the Son being the primary person of the Trinity in view here. The Father had given all authority to the Son. The Son was the sovereign Lord that was on display in this passage. And he says, come to me. It would be blasphemous for anybody to say that, except for the Lord himself. Jesus says, come to me. The main idea of our section last week was Jesus pulls back the curtain and shows the plan of God. How he was going to save some of the least likely people. And how he had come and his own people were going to reject him. But a remnant, a small remnant of common folk, the infants, would believe. God revealed his glory to the least likely through his sovereign rulership. And the new relationship believers can have with Christ. The Lord's call of this section was to exchange the yoke of the law for the Savior's yoke and find rest for your soul. This means one finds salvation and deliverance by forsaking work salvation, trying to earn your way to God in some way for a saving relationship. They exchange it for a saving relationship with Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So let me ask you a question. And don't answer out loud. This is something for you to think on. So, does this mean our lives will be easy here on earth if we are disciples of Christ? Well, nope. A matter of fact, if you read that, you might say, Well, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Boy, it doesn't seem that way. Again, context, context. Context. The greatest of these is context. That wasn't Jesus' primary point, was that your best life is now, believe in me. It's not what he was saying. But as we know and enjoy Christ on a daily basis, the trials of this world do become smaller, though, don't they? And he becomes bigger. When we don't walk in guilt and shame and over our sin, let me ask you a question, believer. Do the trials we face become easier to walk through? To a degree, they do. What do I mean by that? If you're walking in guilt and shame and you have the burden of the law hanging over your back and all you see is, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, when a trial comes along, it's even harder. Everything's harder. So, in some ways, by application, it does fit, doesn't it? What's the greatest burden that we have? Let's just answer that real quickly. Is it the difficulties in our life? Our health deteriorating? How somebody treats us? No, that's not the greatest burden. Not for us who believe, right? The greatest burden is what? Sin. (laughs) I hate it. How about you? I can't stand it. I just want it taken away. I don't like guilt or shame. How about you? You take that that away. And the life, your life is so much better, isn't it? No matter really what comes at us, we have assurance of a future great hope in Christ. He is our hope and glory's coming and no matter really what happens to us here on earth, Starts to get what? Smaller and smaller. But again, that wasn't his primary focus. His primary focus was on the law and getting rid of that guilt and shame that the law was producing. Now, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he's not saying, Come to me, everyone who has difficulties in the world, as I said. But because after all, he said previously trials are coming and family members are going to hate you and there's going to be a division. So he wouldn't contradict himself within just a couple chapters or within a couple days, would he? No. Context, context, context. The greatest of these is context. Friends, herein lies the key. For whether being a disciple whether being a disciple is for us. This is important. Do we know we need him? Do we know we need him? And do we know we need him more than just to fix our problems in life? What we need to know is that I have a sin problem. And I need him for that more than anything else. Even us who believe we didn't walk perfectly this week, did we? We need him, don't we? If we think we are good, no matter what Jesus offers us, offers to us, if we think we're fine, what it, when he offers himself to us, we're going to say... Oh, that's cool, but I don't really need you. See, this is the problem. For the self-righteous person, the one who is thinking they're good, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Why? Because he's only there for those that need him. And so in some strange way, God in his providence sets it up so the self-righteous don't want him. But the humble, broken, want him and need him. And he did that with his own people. He called his own people. He comes in and everybody that thinks they're good, they do what? They reject him. But every, everybody that had a need, any kind of need, and were broken and humble and say, I can't do this. He was there for them. That's how God is. And that goes to every part of our life. Do you understand? Every part of your life. If you think you've got it figured out, then you're not going to need the sovereign. And if you don't need the sovereign, then what? You're going to be self-righteous. Instead of saying, I need Christ, you're going to say, I got this figured out. I can do it. So if you came here today trying to fix yourself or better yourself or make yourself something... You're for the wrong reason, and you're probably not going to be attracted to this message. But Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and need me. So what is our greatest need? You know it. It is sin. We need our sin forgiven. We need atonement for sin, don't we? We need the yoke taken from our backs. Your answer to the question to that question will determine whether or not you like this message or not. <laughs> if you don't think you need him, you won't like this one. Today we see Jesus engages people that didn't need him. A lot of people that didn't need him. And there were some, a remnant that didn't need him, and he took care of them. The two scenes that we see in chapter 12 they illustrate the past section, as mentioned. We are going to see three, those three primary characters. They'll just weave right back down and through, all the way through, both illustrations. Notice the wise and intelligent, the innocent learners, and the sovereign. Let's look at the first illuminating circumstances. First 1 of chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples. Who are they? The infants. The learners, the innocent learners. The disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat it. Almost like they were what? Provided for, weren't they? In God's providence, they were in the grain field. We don't know the occasion, but they were provided for. But when the Pharisees, who are they? The wise and the intelligent, saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, the sovereign. Have you read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him. But for the priests alone, question. Or, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you, authoritative speaking here, right? I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. There they are, the innocent, the infants. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man. So let's trace these primary characters through the scene. First, you have the wise and the intelligent. The wise and the intelligent. Again, remember, I'm using Jesus' own phrase, description of those religious elites. He called them what? Wise and intelligent. In his praise to the Father, he says, what? You've hid it from the wise and the intelligent. He called the Pharisees wise and intelligent. The Pharisees in this section are a perfect illustration of the previous passage. A perfect illustration. It says, but when the Pharisees saw this... They said, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. What are they doing? They are showing their what? It's kind of a catch question. Their wisdom and intelligence. Which was what? Ignorance. Their ignorance. Who were the wise and intelligent? When Jesus said that back in the prayer... Was he saying it was because it was true, or was he saying it because it was sarcasm? It was sarcasm. It was sarcasm. And by the way, is there ever a place for sarcasm? Ooh, yes, there is. Be careful. Don't answer no, because guess what? He uses it on him. You know what he does? He says, did you read? Oh, you know what that is? That's a smack across the face. For the wise and the intelligent. They were the learned. They were the intellectuals. They were the smart people. Did you not read your Bible? That'd be like going to a pastor's conference and standing up and saying, Hey, do you guys not read your Bibles? The wise and the intelligent. They had turned the Sabbath into a great burden for the people. They were actually ignorant. Listen to some of the irrational burdens the Pharisees had added to the law. The Sabbath was given by God to help the people rest and to focus their attention on the Lord. But the religious elites had turned it into a heavy burden. Twice in Jewish history... Did you know that the Jewish people failed to defend themselves against advancing armies because on the Sabbath the enemy attacked them on the Sabbath and they said we can't pick up our guns to fight. Whew, that's how to win. Wipe them out. That's what happened twice. They didn't learn the first time. Did it again. MacArthur's commentary on the Sabbath regulations was thorough and it's excellent. I'm just going to quote some of what he says because it's excellent. He revealed the Talmud has the Talmud has it's, a, it's basically like a commentary on the law telling what you can and can't do telling exactly the rules and regulations. really it's a legalistic document on how to be good enough for God to find favor in you and for you to elevate yourself over others. The Talmud has 24 chapters on regulation or has 24 chapters just on the Sabbath. (laughs) 24 chapters. 24 chapters telling you how to do this. The rules included, and y'all are going to love some of these, everything from how many steps a person can take from their house on the Sabbath to to also not picking up anything more than the weight of a dried fig. If you pick up more... Than the weight of a dried fig on the Sabbath. You're breaking it. Now, you can cut it in half. And you can pick it up in half increments too. So that's okay. But only half a weight of a f- dried fi- uh, fig. Rather. What was I saying? A Dried fig. This one's my... This was the one that kind of got me the most. It was hilarious actually. A woman is not allowed on the Sabbath to look into a mirror. You know why? She might see a gray hair, and she might pull that gray hair. And that's work on the Sabbath. Insane, isn't it? It's insanity where legalism will take you. If you are trying to somehow elevate yourself over other people, you can set up all kinds of wild rules to make yourself look good. But the wise and the intelligent, sarcasm, tongue-in-cheek, accuse Jesus and his disciples of working on the Sabbath. Why? Why? Because the Talmud, the traditions of men, said, if a person rolls wheat to remove husk, it is sifting. If he rubs the head of wheat, it's threshing. If he cleans off the sides of the the tusk, the stuff, it's sifting. If he bruises the ears, it's grinding. If he throws it up in his hand, like just a little bit like that, a little bit of the grain up in his hand, he throws it up like that, it's winnowing and you're working. So you can see the Pharisees as they're walking through the grain field, and the guys have a little bit of grain in their hand, they're doing this. Just a little bit, just to get the husk off. Oh! These guys! Threshing and sifting and winnowing. Can you believe these guys? It's the Sabbath. Insanity, isn't it? This is where work salvation takes you. And this is what we see in ultimately all religions, don't we? Insanity. Never forget going to Mexico City and seeing people crawl across the burning hot pavement to get to the other side of this big Catholic area. Burning their knees up. Thinking that somehow if they do this, they will earn some favor with God. Oh beloved, do you understand that this is just barbaric? It's making a God in your own image. Distorting the word to somehow elevate yourself over the other people. Now listen to me. Before we all judge these men, we must realize this is our own hearts apart from God's grace. Every one of us in the room, every one of us are prone to go back to this. We want rules that we can accomplish so that we can elevate ourselves over other people. We want them. We want to do it. Why? Because who is the hero in our life if we're honest? Ourselves. Ourselves. You don't think you're that way. You say, "Well, that's not me. I'm not. I'm not that way." By saying that, you are showing that you are that. We are them, apart from God's grace, and apart from an understanding that we are nothing and we need Him. Is the answer antinomianism, no law? No. No, it's not that. It's not do whatever you want to please or do, whatever your flesh pleases. No, that's not the answer to legalism. The answer is who? Jesus Christ. Take my yoke. Is what Jesus says. But notice how this self-righteousness self-righteous righteous expresses itself in the scene. Look who they rebuke. <laughs> they rebuke the Lord himself. The one that had given them the law. The one who had made them. The creator himself was in flesh right in front of them. And what did they do? They rebuke him. It's stunning, isn't it? This is what self-righteousness does. This is what pride does. It blinds us. We can't even see it. We judge everything and everyone. And before we know it, we're even judging who? God. Oh, hear me, dear ones. Have you ever found yourself... Condemning God, judging God, questioning God about why he does what he does and why he doesn't do it the way you think he should do it. Is it possible that rooted in that is your self-righteousness? And then Jesus tests their intelligence. Do you understand how how merciful this is for the Lord Jesus? Do you understand that he could have said, he could have skipped to the end and said, Hey, Lord, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Sit down, be quiet, or I'm going to stop your heart from beating. He could have. And would have been perfectly what? Justified. You guys are fools. He could have said it. But he says it very mercifully, but with a lot of sarcasm. Have you read what David did when he became hungry? And he's alluding to 1 Samuel chapter 21 from our devotions this week, actually. He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him. But for the priest alone, why would he quote from 1 Samuel 21? Well, I think, and I think you'll see it as it unfolds, I think he's alluding to himself being the son of David. Say, why? Well, he did it, he does it in the next one. Something greater is the temples here. I think this is just set out there. Who was the teacher and the leader at that time when David was dealing? David was the leader of some men, and they took what? Some bread. He's comparing himself to who? David. That's very subtle, isn't it? But he's saying, I'm the David. I'm the son of David. I'm the one. I'm the sovereign. But he's, he's questioning them, or he's sarcastically calling to question their intellect and their understanding of the Scriptures. The events here explain how David and his men got, were given bread normally reserved for the priests because they were extremely hungry and in need. God had not condemned David for that action. Because the law was not given to hurt man, but to what? Help man. If a law needed to be abrogated in order to help a follower, it was permissible by the Lord, especially if the king, who though he was not set up as the king by the people, he had already been told that he was the king by that point, wasn't he? In 1 Samuel 21. But these scholars that Jesus was talking to were really clueless of the purpose and interpretation of the law. Why? Why couldn't they understand the Bible? Why couldn't they understand what it was saying? Answer, self-righteousness and pride. Self-righteousness and pride will blind you to the truth. You will read the scriptures and not even get the main point. You will make this passage all about keeping or not keeping the Sabbath when that's not even the main point. It's amazing how many people use these passages to say or not say whether or not we should keep the Sabbath, but that is the that goes away from the very point of the passage. The very point of the passage is what? Jesus Christ is the one. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And whatever he says, what? goes, and I need to follow him and obey him and serve him and believe in him. But Jesus continued his stern rebuke. Notice he says, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus here is pointing to the roles of the priests On the Sabbath, in the temple. The priests, in many ways, worked even harder than the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, rather, in the temple, than normal days. Do you understand, beloved? God set things up right for these people, to help them, not to hurt them. You know, when people say, man, I hear it regularly, hey, we shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. I'm like... First of all, Sabbath is probably Saturday. Second, if Sabbath has changed over to Sunday, I'm doomed. (laughs) Because, let me explain something to you. I know y'all say pastor only works one day a week and it's the Sabbath. Some of you. Not all of you. That's not true, by the way. But... I'm just being honest. This is the hardest day of the work for me today. Is it burdensome? No. It's light. It's easy. What's my favorite day of the week? Sunday, the Lord's Day. Why? Because I walk in the rest of the Lord all day long. I enjoy him, I exalt him, I preach him, I proclaim him, I counsel him, I do these things, and that's a great day. And then Monday, I get to do it again on the day that I rest because I preach it to my kids, and I clean, and I work, and I do all those little things that don't get done during the week. Uh Uh-oh, you're breaking the Sabbath. Not the point anyway, is it? It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about knowing him, taking his yoke, trusting him. I need him. You need him. We all need him. And Jesus then rebukes him with, But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent what's he say about the innocent? It's the disciples. They're right there. The disciples are right there. So so what's he doing here? Jesus is using the word of God to bring the final indictment on the Pharisees. By the way, what we're going to see is a major shift. Because after this indictment, what happens? The Pharisees come up with a new one. A new accusation. And it's the accusation that ends all accusations. And you know what it is? He casts out demons by Beelzebub. He casts out demons by Satan. What do they accuse him of? Using the power of Satan. When it's the Spirit of God that's working in him. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in the next weeks. He confronts their self-righteousness and He does it with the Word. Just Just a side note, beloved. Listen to me closely. If you're reading the Bible, you know what it's going to do to you? If it's doing what it's supposed to do in you and you're humble to it, it should crush you all the time. It should... All the time when we're reading the Bible, do we come out? If you read through the Old Testament, many of you are reading through the Old Testament with us. And you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading about David and you're reading about Saul and you're reading about all the judges and you're reading about all these people. Do you walk away and you go, oh man, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. If you're reading that, you're missing it. Because the Word of God does what to us? It exposes us. It shows us who we really are. It shows us that I am Samson. I am David. I am Saul. And I need who? Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible does. It shows me, even in this passage, it shows me that I'm not always the most compassionate. And I'm not always the most sacrificial. It does crush me, doesn't you? Are you compassionate all the time or are you always looking to pick out faults in people? There's one that we do. I know why that person's like that. They would have just worked harder, saved more, not spent so much. I know some of you might know what I'm talking about. Do you see people in jams and say, (laughs) I know why they're there? Is it possible we look like the Pharisees more than we want to admit? Do you understand that the only reason why you're not in the same jam is not because of your goodness, but it's because of the grace of God? If we are debt free, if we are anything, it's because of what? God and God alone. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ Jesus the Lord. The innocent learners were those disciples that just kind of were hanging out. who were following along. Were they perfectly innocent? Oh, no, they weren't. Were they innocent in that one event? Oh, yeah, they were. But ultimately, they were doing what? Following Jesus. And who is the sovereign? He's the teacher. He's the one that knows the law. He's the one that interprets the law perfectly. He's the one that applies the law perfectly. In fact, he's the only one that's ever obeyed the law perfectly. And he had complete, all-out authority over the law and the Sabbath. He was Lord of the Sabbath. He was sovereign over the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. When we think about the Sabbath for just a second, just think, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Keep the Sabbath. And there's a promise in there, or an explanation there, and it shows what? It shows that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. But why did God do that? Why did God do that? Well, ultimately, God did that to set up the seven-day thing so that people would what? Rest on the seventh day! Did God rest on the seventh day? Okay, yes and no. Yes, he rested from what? Creating. But sure, good thing he didn't stop. Because the creation would have what? It would have been gone. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And the one that upholds the, all things by the word of his power was where? He was in their midst. What should have happened at this moment when he said to them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath? What should they have done? They should have fell down and gone, whoa, God is in our midst. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. They should have said what Isaiah said. Because after all, he was what? The glory of God revealed in the person of of Christ Jesus. Instead, they're right there at the next scene, accusing him because he heals a person with a withered hand on the Sabbath. You ask me how powerful is self-righteousness? You ask me, how corruptive is the sin nature? And I say, look at this passage. This passage screams, humanity is self-righteous. And humanity can't even see God when he's in their midst. Doing miracles in front of them. This should, listen closely, should give everybody in here a healthy fear. Everybody in here should say, I need Jesus. What a passage, right? We got through half of it. We'll do it next week, next half. Because we get to take the Lord's Supper right now. Let's do it. Okay? Because why do we take the Lord's Supper? To remember Him. What He did. How great He is. How kind He is. That He would send His Son into the world. That the Son would live the perfect life. die on the cross rise right from the dead. So that we could have eternal life. And today we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves. Right now. We're going to remember Christ. What He did for us right now. Don't take this lightly. Who needs to take the Lord's Supper? Question. Everybody. Because everybody needs to remember what Christ did for you. Right? Now, if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't repented and to- uh, of your sins and believed in him, don't take the Lord's Supper right now. <laughs> that's for the believer. That's for the one that's committed to him. If you have, let's take it together and rejoice in him. Take some time right now and pray at your seat as the deacons come up to help us pass this out. Please